Well, never forget it. It was about, I don't know, 25 years ago or so. I was uh, doing some graduate studies and, and working part-time. And, and one of my part-time jobs was being a substitute teacher at a, a school that we were connected with. And uh, on one particular day, I was substituting. And I don't know, the people in charge must have heard about my incredible t-ball career because they put me in P.E. And so I'm in P.E. and uh, it's not exactly the hardest job in the world to substitute in P.E. You're playing some games, doing whatever. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, this teacher brings her class in and I had some game set up. I don't even remember what it was, but I'll I'll never forget the teacher says to me, she she says, hey, do do, do you have like a good way of, of dividing up the teams for the kids. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, no problem, I got it. Yeah, absolutely, I got a great way. It's like, okay, good, okay, good. So we get all the kids together. All right, guys, here's what we're gonna do. I need two volunteers, two volunteers. Okay, you pick your team and you pick your team. America, that's how we do it, right? We have winners and losers. We have those who are picked first and we have those who are picked last, okay? And I'll never forget, like, like we go through, kids pick their teams. We do whatever game we had that day. I don't remember what it was, duck, duck, goose, or heads up, seven up, or whatever it was, right? And the teacher who I, I just appreciate, she was trying to help me, right? Like this young guy who had no business being a substitute teacher, obviously, learned a little bit about what it's like to be an encourager, not a discourager. And I'll never forget, she said to me at some point throughout that class period, she says, hey, when I asked, like, if you had a way of dividing up the kids that was beneficial, like, I, I was asking because I thought it might be good if there was a way to where we, like, didn't have some kids who were picked last so that they felt bad. And I'm like, this is America, all right? And this is how we do it. Like, I, is there another way? And so I'm here 25 years later just to report to you, I still don't have another way. I'm sure there is a way. Those of you in education, send me an email. Let me know of another way. I don't know of another way because I was raised in a culture where there are those who are picked first and those who are picked last. And sometimes I was picked last. I was never picked first, but I was picked. And I don't have another way of doing it because that's how I was raised. Like I was raised in this culture where we value competition. I was raised in this culture where there are winners and losers. Like I was, that's how I was brought up. I don't know any other way. And it just kind of reminds us of the fact that every single society has measurables for what we call social value. All of us have been raised in some culture with some standard of measurement whereby we determine our value. And for me, I was raised in a culture where it was like competition. It, it, it was, okay, picking and choosing. It was winning and losing. Like that's kind of what I was, was raised in. I really, at the time, didn't know any better. I think I know a little better now, but, but, but you were raised in a culture, right? And, and so, so these measurables determine what we call, what sociologists call social value. And here's the thing, if you've ever traveled around the world, you've discovered that depending on where you are, there actually are different sets of measurables. Like for instance, here in the United States, 
we value things. Okay, our society values things like change and mobility. Okay, we value change and mobility. Not every society values that the way we do. We value here in the United States time and its importance. If you've ever traveled the world, you know there are many societies that do not value time the way we do. Right? Like I've been on teams that have traveled all around the world. I've been in all kinds of different contexts where time is just a social construct. There are societies that don't value time the way we do. I've been in numerous places around the world and say, okay, what time does church start? Church starts at 10.30. Perfect. As a good American, I'm there at 10.15, right? Because I learned growing up, if you're 15 minutes early, you're what? You're on time, right? And so you get there at 10.15. I've been at churches in different places around the world at 10.15. Nobody's even there yet. The pastor's not there. The worship pastor's not there. Nobody's there. And I've been on teams. Some of you have been on teams like this. You're like, what time's church start? You know what the answer is if you're overseas in a society that does not value time and its importance? The answer is church starts whenever everybody gets there and somebody starts singing. <laughs> That's when church starts. I was in South Africa one time in a church, supposed to start at 1030. We started at 1145. You know how we started? Some lady said, time to start singing. She started singing. Guess what everybody else did? Everybody started stinging. I'm sitting around like, I guess church is starting. Our society doesn't have the same value system. We value change and mobility. We value time and it's important. We value individualism. Not every society values that the way we do. We value materialism. Not every society values that the way we do. We value men and women. Not every society values men and women the same. So there are various measurables of what we call social value depending upon where you were raised. That's true today. You know, it's it's always been true. And when you look back in the ministry of Jesus, here's one of the cool things. I mean, I'm telling you, this is just a remarkable thing about the ministry of Jesus. It's easy to miss because, you know, we've maybe been hearing about it for all of our lives, right? Maybe we started hearing about it in vacation Bible school. We're still hearing about it. Maybe we've lost this, um, I don't know, just remarkable aspect. Like we've, we've lost the power of this. Can, can I just remind you though, or maybe inform some of you new to church, just about what stood out about the ministry of Jesus. Hear me on this. Jesus valued every single person in every social situation. He valued them the same. Now, this did not happen 2,000 years ago in the first century. You see, there there were different social constructs. There there were different measurables by which people determined their value. But but yet Jesus shows up and he he begins his public ministry. And here's one, I'm telling you, it's one of the most remarkable aspects of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is interacting with people raised in different social value systems, but yet regarding every single person he meets as intrinsically valuable and worthy of his time and his ministry. That's an amazing thing. We actually have a really cool like contrast, maybe you've missed this, in John's gospel. Of course, the gospel writers are writing and recording the ministry of Jesus to communicate that he's the Christ. He's the savior of the world. And John's gospel has an incredible contrast in it in chapter three and chapter four. Now we know of chapter three, one of the 
most recognizable chapters in all the Bible, right? You have John 3.16. Okay, if you're not familiar with John 3.16, that's the verse the guy's holding up on the sign behind the field goal post, okay, right? John 3.16, right? We, we know of John 3. It's a famous chapter in the Bible with the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3 begins with a guy named Nicodemus, a man who was known, a man who was named, a man who was religious, a man who was moral, a man who was prominent in his society. John 3 has this incredible dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. Again, a man, an educated man, a religious man, a moral man, a wealthy man, a prominent man in his society. And then you get to chapter 4, and you may have missed this contrast. It's not by accident. It's intentional. John's contrasting here what happens with Nicodemus with this woman that Jesus meets at Jacob's well. Now, let's just think about this for a second. The fact that Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah and proved to be the Messiah, would interact with such a prominent figure like Nicodemus makes sense to us. A man valued more in that society than women, right? A man who is named religious, moral, prominent, wealthy, makes sense to us. What happens when you turn the page and you get into John chapter 4? Jesus begins to interact with a woman who is unnamed, who is not religious, who is immoral and has no standing in her society. But yet Jesus talks with her, ministers to her, gives salvation to her in the same way that he sat, spoke with, talked with, communicated kingdom values with Nicodemus. And you know what this reminds us of? That we have a savior who values every single human life the same. Whether you're a man or a woman, a Jew, a Samaritan, whether you're known to your society or unknown to your society, whether you've lived a moral life or an immoral life, whether you consider yourself religious or not religious, I have good news for you today. We have a savior who loves you, a savior who values you as one who's made in his image and a savior whose kindness is made known to you through his loving salvation because Jesus offers his grace and mercy to everyone the same. Right? It doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter if you're known or unknown. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. I'm telling you, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we find grace, mercy, healing, and hope that is available to every single person. And, and we love that, don't we? We celebrate that today, that that is the power of the gospel and, and here's how this takes shape in the life of this woman who, um, by the way, was in a pretty dire situation. 
Because most of us can probably relate more to John 4 than John 3. Most of us don't live the life that Nicodemus lived. Most of us, right, we don't have the pedigree that Nicodemus had. We don't have the prominence that Nicodemus had. Most of us can relate more to what happens in John 4 than we can John 3. Because here in John 4, we have Jesus offering hope for the hurting. We have Jesus meeting someone who is broken where she was and, and, and in that moment, we, we, I think, can relate a little better to what it looks like to intersect with the grace and mercy of Jesus because every single one of us need the grace that only Jesus can provide. And no one, no one is beyond the need for God's grace. And so let me just remind you what happens here in John 4 with, with this Samaritan woman. Again, we don't even know her name. Jesus, the, the scripture tells us, had to travel through Samaria. Boy, there's a lot here. It's awesome. He had to. Jesus felt compelled to go through Samaria. That's important because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, didn't speak. Listen, most Jews would bypass Samaria to travel uh, north because they so hated the Samaritans, they wouldn't travel through there. That's like me saying to you, how are you going to get to Tennessee? You're like, well, I'm going to move through Alabama, Mississippi, really kind of fuzzy on my geography that but then make your way right like like I ain't going through Georgia kind of thing right I mean like okay so you're gonna go hundreds of miles out of your way to get somewhere north because you so hate Georgia and my answer to you is get over your hatred for Georgia there are buckies there okay and <laughs> and the Lord will meet you at Bucky's. See, I really thought there'd be some amens. I, really, I mean, come on. The, 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 the barbecue sandwich, the pulled pork sandwich. Is anybody with me on this? Come on. I mean, come on. All right. Thank you. Okay. This is not a paid advertisement. I'm just, I'm just sharing. I'm keeping it real with you all. All right. Here we go. So I just want you to understand, okay, like the fact that Jesus, who claimed to be the Savior of the world and a Jew, the Jewish Savior, right, coming through the Jewish people, the fact that he would go through Samaria is a little odd. But John gives us a little tip. He had to. Do you know why he had to? I actually think there's probably several reasons here if you get into the context, but let me give you one reason. Jesus knows there is a woman there who needs his grace. Jesus knows there's a divine appointment about to happen. And John doesn't say, well, he went through Samaria. No, he had to travel through Samaria. I just want you to see here that God is intentional about making his grace available to you. Where you live with what you're going through. He had to travel through Samaria. And so watch this, watch what happens next. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that was, that was Jacob's and they had given to his son Joseph. And it was, as you may recall, it was where Jacob's well was located. So Jacob's well is there, a very prominent place. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, it's about noon, right? And then look at this, a woman of Samaria, not a man like Nicodemus, a woman unnamed to us, unknown. She's just known today even as the Samaritan woman. But yet Jesus gives her the same time and attention he gave Nicodemus, right? She comes out to draw water and Jesus actually speaks to her. 
In this social construct, this did not happen, that a man would speak to the woman who he doesn't know and give her that dignity, number one. Number two, a Jewish man certainly would never speak to a Samaritan woman. There are multiple layers here, all violating the social structures and the social norms, okay? But yet Jesus, we see here, does not live by those social standards and social norms. Jesus is a man, as we've said, that values everyone the same. Every human life is valuable to King Jesus. And so look at this, he says... To her, would you give me a drink? And and she's she's like a little a little shocked by this, as we're gonna see. And, and and at this moment, the disciples have gone into town to buy food. This is not an accident. I think Jesus sent them in to buy food because he knew that if these clowns were around when the Samaritan woman came, they would not have allowed him to speak to her. So all of this is happening through divine providence, right? And so check this out. So then she says to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? And she recognizes Jews don't associate with Samaritans, right? And so Jesus said this, I love this. Jesus is like, hey, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you more than just some of this water. He would give you living water. She said, sir, now watch it. This is where her and Nicodemus kind of align because they're both spiritually ignorant. Can I just remind you here that it doesn't matter how educated you are, how prominent you are, how wealthy you are, how religious you are. You can be as lost as can be. Remember Nicodemus saying to Jesus when he's like, hey, how do I get to heaven? Jesus is like, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus, this great religious man and figure is like, well, do you go into your mother's womb a second time? You remember that? Okay, look, the woman's asking the same kind of question. Sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. How are you going to get this living water? I just want you to understand that spiritual ignorance is something that all of us are born with. Because all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us on our own would never seek God or find God. We only get there through the kind, gracious initiative of Jesus who meets us in our brokenness and leads us to what we ultimately need. Because she's asking the same kind of questions that the great Nicodemus asked, right? And so, and so check this out. She continues. She says, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you something about this well. Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. We'll never be thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him, look at this, will, 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 will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And she says, I love this, look at verse 15. She says, sir, would you give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw more water? Jesus like, yeah, I can do that. She's processing. And it really is an amazing thing to see afresh and anew that our Savior values every single person, regardless of their social value system, their education, their religion, how well things are going from an external perspective. Here's the reality. All of us are internally broken and in desperate need of the healing that only Jesus can provide. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman are in need of the same thing. It's the living water of Jesus. 
And we serve a Savior today who is gracious to give that living water to everyone. And he's gracious to give it to you. He's gracious to give it to me. Especially in these moments when we're keenly aware of how broken we are. And that's why I think what John does here with the contrast between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman is so profound because he's reminding us here with the Samaritan woman that unlike Nicodemus, most of us have a story that highlights our need for the grace of God. So let me give you a few quick takeaways. Okay, first of all, just here's the thing. The reason for this is because life doesn't always go as planned. Have you noticed? Now, maybe you're 12 and you're like, no, my life's going pretty good. <laughs> That's awesome. My life was pretty good at 12. Um, you have a few more challenges coming. <laughs> You live long enough in this broken world with your broken soul and your broken people all around you. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have some hardship. You're going to make some stupid decisions. You're going to say some stupid things. You're going to interact with others whose stupid decisions negatively impact you, sometimes through no fault of your own. Let me just say it this way. You live long enough in this broken world as a broken person surrounded by other broken people, and your life's not always going to go according to the script. And this woman was no exception. I, I just want you to recapture the miracle of this, that the Jewish Messiah, I mean the Savior of the world, right, but the one coming through the Jewish people, is now in Samaria at Jacob's well talking to a woman who was an outcast, but giving her the same dignity as a man like Nicodemus. This is radical. And this woman is messed up. Her life did not go according to plan. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're joining us online today and you're like, yeah, that's my life. My life has not gone according to plan. Man, there's been some ups and downs. There have been some bumps and bruises. Hey, join the club. But I have good news for you. Our Savior is gracious to intersect us in our brokenness so that when our life doesn't go according to plan, he's there to meet us and to make something of us to bring hope and healing, to bring grace and mercy, right? To bring conviction and kindness. And that's what Jesus said. Let me, let me, let me take it back here. Let me just show you the, 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 the testimony of this woman, right? She's like, where can I get this water? And Jesus, I'll tell you where you can get it. Well, go get your husband and come back and I'll give you some. <laughs> Jesus knows her story. He had to go to Samaria. He knows what's gonna happen. He knows her story and how broken it is. He knows that her life did not go according to plan. How so? He says, well, go get your husband and come back. She says, well, sir, I don't have a husband. Well, she's leaving a little bit of this out. She's leaving a lot of the story out. She's telling the truth, but not the whole truth. Well, I don't have a husband. Jesus says this. Well, you've said correctly you don't have a husband. Let's just break this down, right? You've actually had five husbands. You are the forerunner to Liz Taylor. And <laughs> most of you won't get that reference. Okay, <laughs> look it up. Okay, so like you've had five and the guy you're now with is not your husband. What you've said is true. You don't have a husband, but you've actually had five husbands and you're shacked up with a guy now who's not your husband. And this culture, she is an outcast. That's just as simple as I can put it. And she says, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Yeah, well, he's a little more than a prophet, but she's starting to get the picture. Man, there's, 
man, there's something to this guy that's beyond human. No, he's the son of God and the savior of the world. Let me just kind of summarize what happens next. Jesus talks to her about worship in spirit and in truth. He talks to her about the Messiah. She says, no, I believe that the Messiah is coming. I know he's gonna come through the Jewish people. And Jesus says, the one you're talking to is me. She's cultivating this belief. And, and here's, here's, here's a reminder to us that life doesn't go always according to plan. But here's the good news. Jesus brings hope for the hurting. He meets us where we are. He intersects us in our brokenness. And he communicates his grace and his kindness to us. We, we see here that we have to acknowledge our sin in order to ask for his salvation. We have to accept the reality of the depth of our sin in order to cherish the depth of his salvation. Jesus is highlighting her past so that she would understand her need for his future. There is no salvation without repentance, right? And so, so Jesus is intersecting here with her brokenness, right? Her life has not gone according to plan. That's safe to say for whatever reason. Five marriages, five divorces, now with a guy not getting married. Maybe he didn't want to marry her because it would have been an embarrassment. Maybe they're both in a really bad situation. They have no cultural standing. And so the best they could do is live together. We don't know. We just know her life did not go according to plan. She's pretty messed up. She's at Jacob's well drawing water for herself. She encounters the savior of the world and he gives her dignity. He speaks to her as he speaks to men like Nicodemus and then communicates to her that he brings living water even and especially to people like her and it only comes through repentance and faith and she begins to apply that faith to her life and then not only does she believe but now she goes, now just don't miss this, she goes as as one who had little to no standing in her society to being a difference maker. By going back to her town and telling others, you're not gonna believe this. I'm telling you, I just met a man who is the Messiah. He has told me everything about my life. No way he could have known it. She goes back as an average ordinary person. She goes back as a broken person desperately in need of healing, right? She goes back now with this living water. And what does she do? She starts offering it to others who need it. And here's what happened. Let me, let me fast forward to verse 39, chapter 4. Look, look at this. I love this. And so, so many Samaritans from that town, just the fact that the Samaritans have access to this salvation. Guys, this is like... Life changed. This is crazy. This didn't happen. But this is the power of the gospel, right? It's for everyone. And so the Samaritans in that town believe in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Let me just remind you, you don't have to have a seminary degree or a call to full-time missional service to make a difference for Jesus. You only have to share your story. And it's okay that your story is filled with brokenness at times. It's okay that your life did not go according to plan. If you've met the Savior of the world and the one who loves you and died for you and, and you've been saved by his living water, and, and, and listen, and you're free to just invite others and share your story with others, God will use you in a profound way. Every single one of us are called to be difference makers. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have a full-time call. Just share with your story. This woman had no standing. You couldn't find someone in her society that had like any more difficulty on the social scale than she did. She's at the bottom. But yet she begins to share about this man 
who gives living water, who told her everything about her life. And, and so look at what happens next. So, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, right, she's introducing them to Jesus. They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. You know why? Because he had to go to Samaria. And then many more believed because of what he said. And then they come back to the woman. Look at this. They're talking to her. We no longer believe because of what you said since we heard it for ourselves and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. We still don't know her name. But there are people in heaven who for all eternity will be giving praise to God for her testimony and influence because she became a difference maker in their lives. And so let me give you the last takeaway today. Listen to me. Jesus can turn your trouble into a testimony. He can take your trouble, right? You say, my life hasn't gone according to plan. My fault, somebody else's fault, whatever. There are many of us here today, we look back on our lives like, man, yeah, there have been some ups and downs. There have been some unexpected twists and turns. There have been some hardships. There have been some reasons for discouragement. There were, sometimes there are moments being weary, tired, frustrated, all of that. But I just want to remind you today that not only does Jesus value every single human life, including you, not only can Jesus give you living water through his abundant grace, but Jesus can then take that trouble and use it for his glory. He can take your trouble and give you a powerful testimony of what only he can do. <laughs> only Jesus can do that. That's why we're here today. All across Bell Shoals and all of our campuses, there are thousands of people who have stories like this. You know what the story is? I was broken, I was lost, I was messed up, but through the kind initiative and grace of Jesus Christ, I have been freed, I have been forgiven, and now I have eternal hope. And we're just trying to introduce the world to this Jesus, right? And if you'll just share your story, God will use you. Because you know what Jesus said? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. but I have overcome the world.